Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Let me read you something real quick. A very successful attorney parked his new Lexus in front of his office, ready to show it off to his colleagues. Well, as he was getting out, a truck came closely and came too closely and completely tore the door off the driver's side. Well, fortunately, there was a police officer there to see the accident and pulled up behind the Lexus. Before the cop had a chance to ask any questions, the attorney started screaming hysterically about how his Lexus was brand new. He just got it yesterday, and now it's completely ruined and will never be the same, no matter how good the body shop is, to make it new again. Well, finally, the lawyer calmed down. The cop said, you are so, you, you are so focused on your possessions that you neglect the most important thing in life. The lawyer said, what are you talking about? The cop replied, don't you even realize that your left arm is missing? It was cut off when the truck hit you. And the guy said, oh, my God, he screamed, my Rolex. (laughs) But where's Junior when you need him? (laughs) So, So if you've been with us, you know. Samuel, copies available after service. If you've been with us, you know 2 Samuel. If you don't have this written down, write it down. 2 Samuel is a book about David's reign, 40-year reign as king. He reigned seven and a half years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. How do I know that? Because 2 Samuel chapter 5, right about verse 5, tells us just that. I told you that Samuel is divided nicely into three main sections. Chapters 1 through 10, David's triumphs. Chapters 11 through 12, David's trials. And chapters 13 through 24, David's troubles. Triumphs, trials, and troubles. In 2 Samuel, we see the rise of a king. In 2 Samuel, we see David's life and his humanity, his royalty, his failures, his sin and successes. We see his repentance. In 2 Samuel, we see a man after God's own heart. We see David becoming the greatest king who ever lived except Jesus. There are more chapters, as I told you this, There are more chapters in the Old Testament dedicated to the life of King David than any other Old Testament character. More than Abraham, more than Joseph, more than Jacob, more than Moses, David is mentioned a thousand times in the Bible. Now, if you were with us last time in chapter 3, we learned that David had six wives and six sons in Hebron. And 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 through 19 tells us that David had 11 more children and more wives and concubines. And like father, like son, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And I think of 700 (laughs) mother-in-laws. Amen. 
Well, chapter 3 in verse 6, go ahead and look at chapter 3, right about verse 6. There is a civil war between the house of Saul, north, and the house of David in the south. Abner was Saul's commander-in-chief, and when Abner realized the throne of Ishbosheth had no future, he switched teams. If you were with me last time, you know that. He switched teams so he could guarantee his own security. So Abner makes a deal with David to come over to David's side. Well, look at verse 13. David says, okay, Abner, I'll accept your offer, only one condition. I want my first wife back. Her name is Michael. Now, remember in 1 Samuel 18, Saul knew that Michael, his daughter, loved David. Remember? And Saul said, great, I'll give her to David to be a snare to David. Which, that is like one of the funniest verses to me in all the Bible. I'll give my daughter to David to be a snare to David. It's like, you know, I'll give my daughter to David to make his life miserable. What did he think of his daughter? Not much. I'll give my daughter to David to be a snare to him. And that was David's first wife. Well, look at verse 16. Ishbosheth took Michael, chapter 3, from her husband, Paltiel, to be given to David. And we point out the last time that Paltiel didn't fight for her, did he? He didn't defend her. He just followed behind weeping, which I find also really funny. Abner had enough of his crying, and he said, go home. And Paltiel just turned around and walked away. I like that. Abner turned around and said, go. Sick of your crying, whimpering. Wah, wah, wah. Just go. And he went. Well, Sunday, if you were with me on Sunday, we were talking about headship. If you missed Sunday's teaching, I'm going to encourage you to pick it up. We were talking about headship in the home. And husbands need to be the leader in the home. Were you with me on Sunday? Show of hands. Were you with me on Sunday? You know that's what we're talking about. We're talking about headship. We're talking about how husbands need to be the leader in the home. And, and, and if your wife is leading the home, that, that, that doesn't mean, that, that doesn't necessarily mean she's out of place. I think it speaks more to the fact that the husband is out of place. And I can often tell a wife who's not being led by her husband by her behavior. You can tell that. Thank you, one sister. Thank you. It's true. You can look at a woman and tell her submittedness or lack thereof just by looking at her, how she behaves, how she conducts herself in the church. We talked about the husband is the head of the wife, and we have a responsibility. We talked about that man was made in the image of God, that man, that man was created in the image and the glory of God. And that word glory could be translated reflection. And, and, and Sunday, I didn't get a chance to tell you this, but I want to tell you this now. That fellas, listen, you are a reflection of God, like it or not. And how you live your life is a reflection of your relationship with God. And how you live your life is a reflection of your spiritual relationship with your wife. And how your wife is doing spiritually often reflects how you're doing spiritually. Y'all know I'm right about it. It often reflects how you're doing spiritually. You look at a strong man of God who's strong in the Lord, who's walking in the Lord, you're likely... Not always, but likely to find a wife the same way. You find a man who is fleshy, who's not walking with the Lord, not leading his wife, is likely, not always, his wife is the same way. 
the husband is made in the image, the reflection and the glory of God and called to be the head of the home. And when you see a wife who wants to run the show, that tells me her husband is leading her. More often practically or spiritually, your wife's spirituality is often a reflection of the husband's spirituality. You can look at the wife and see if this understanding of submission is being carried out in the home. We talked about that. Well, in chapter 4, we got to move on. Look at chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Let's see how much we can get done tonight. Chapter 4 and verse 1. If you're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1, say amen, saints. When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart. And all Israel was troubled. Now Saul's son had, how many sons? Two, who were captains of the troops. The name of the one was Bana, not Banana, but Bana. And the name of the other was, I think it's Rakab or Rakab, the sons of Remen, the Berethite, of the children of Benjamin. For Beeroth also was part of Benjamin. That is important in the story. Because the Berethites fled to Gittim and have been sojourners there until this day. Jonathan's son, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. How old was he? Uh huh. When the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse, she grabbed him up and she fled. And it happened as it happened, she made haste to flee that he fell and he became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Then the sons of Remen at the Berethite, Rechab and Bana, set out and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying on his bed at noon. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. And then Rechab and Bana, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in, in his bedroom, and then they struck him, and they killed him, and they beheaded him, and they took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, King, here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my lord, the king, this day. Of Saul and his descendants. Saints, Saints, stop right there. Give me your your attention. Troubled times continue for the nation of Israel in this chapter. There's internal strife, civil war among the people. Saul and Jonathan are dead, and there's great heartache for God's people. Uh, Pastors, teachers, listen to me. Give me your attention, please. Pastors, teachers, uh, preachers, usually pass over chapter four. I would challenge you to seek to find a sermon on chapter four of Second Samuel. You will be hard pressed. Uh, we teach verse by verse here at Calvary Chapel. I'll wait while two more people clap your hands. And we don't skip over anything because all of God's word is important. We teach the whole Bible, not a Bible full of holes. Write that down. Amen. 
And I think of, uh, we were just in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul told us, he said, now all these things, all the things that we've been reading about, all the things in the Old Testament happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So Paul's point in this verse is all of these things that we're reading about are real-life situations, including Second Samuel. I don't know why people don't teach it. And they happened to Israel as examples to us, and they are written for our admonition. Again, we don't pass over anything in Scripture, so we, we, we deal with it. Now, if you've been with us, you know that David has been made king of Judah. After inquiring of the Lord, he moved to Hebron, remember that? Which was at the edge, it was south. And Abner led a rebellion, putting Ishbosheth, Saul's son, on the throne. But because Ishbosheth accused him of taking one of the concubines, were you with me in chapter 3? Just show of hands. Were you with me in chapter 3? Okay, that's maybe half of you. So Abner led a rebellion, and he put Ishbosheth on the throne, on Saul's throne. Um, but because Ishbosheth accused him of taking one of his concubines, Abner left the house of Saul. We talked about this in chapter 3. You can order a CD. He left the house of Saul, and he went over to David's side. And this was a mistake because Joab was waiting to kill Abner because Abner killed Joab's brother, Ashiel. I want you to look at chapter 3 in verse 27. Abner gets to Hebron. Joab said, hey, man, can I talk to you? And he takes him aside. And then he stabbed him in the stomach and he died. So chapter 4, verse 1, when Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner was dead, he lost heart. Why? Because Abner was his military strength and now his army is weak. He knows he can't maintain the kingdom against David and his army. So Ishbosheth knew his days of reigning were almost over. Remember, he got that position because man put him there. But when man is gone, the position is gone. Did y'all hear me? Man put him there. And when man is gone, the position is gone. Simply, Ishbosheth was weak because he trusted in man. Question to you tonight. Where are your eyes tonight? I mean, I know they're in your head. You're probably like, in my head. Well, I know that. I mean, but spiritually, where are your eyes? Where are they? Who are you putting your trust in? You know, everybody's going to put their trust in something. Some people put their trust in their bank account. Some people put their trust in education. Some people put their trust in stocks and retirement and a steady home and income. All of these things are good, but they fade away just like that. Christians, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, I think of Isaiah 31, too. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Psalm 20, memory verse, Psalm 27, 8. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust, we're saints, in the name of the Lord our God. 
They are brought to their knees and they fail, but we rise up and we stand firm. Well, Ishbosheth heard that the man who propped him up on the throne was dead, and the Bible says he lost heart. Look at verse 2. Saul's son had two men who were captains of his troops. One was named Bana, we read this, and the other named Rakab. Bana means son of grief or son of affliction. Rakab means companion. They were the sons of Remen, the Berethite. Berethite means drink lots of beer. I'm just kidding. I don't really know what it means. It just sounds like that. Doesn't it sound like that? For the record, I don't drink beer, okay? I'm just, amen. You got to put it out there. Look at verse 4. Before Jonathan died, he had a son who was lame in his feet. His name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, you got your pen? It means, get this, it means, I always knew one meaning, but I didn't know this meaning. Exterminating idols. Exterminating idols. Or, this meaning I did know, destroying shame. Destroying shame, Mephibosheth. I told you that the Jewish people would often name their children after some important event. You got to wonder what Jonathan was thinking when Mephibosheth was born. He probably looked at Mephibosheth and said, I'm going to name him exterminator of idols, probably thinking when he grows up, he's going to exterminate the idols and the shame out of the land of Israel. The Bible tells us he became lame at five years old, so he wasn't born that way. There was a woman who was working for Jonathan, taking care of him. And when she heard Jonathan and Saul, Mephibosheth's papa, amen, his grandfather, when she heard they were dead, she got scared. And she snatched up the boy and she began to run. Now, why is she running? Because she knows the leader of the new dynasty will kill every potential heir of the previous dynasty. So she's running. And while she's running, she dropped Mephibosheth. Now, lame, listen, usually means your feet. Usually lame in your feet, but not always. Actually, we're not told exactly what made him lame. He could have broken his back. Uh, She could have dropped him and he broke his hip. Or maybe he was paralyzed. We're not told exactly how he was lame. Look at verse 5. It tells us that son of grief and companion, Bana and Rakab, are walking in the heat of the day, headed to Ishbosheth's house, and Bo is taking a nap. He must work at night or be a musician. (laughs) Amen. Sleeping in the middle of the day. Verse 6. The guys walking in the house, they walk in the house, they see Ishbosheth lying on the bed, and they stab him in the stomach. Now listen, when the Bible says they stabbed him in the stomach, it 99.9% of the time means they stabbed him under the fifth rib. Under the fifth rib into the heart, which is a typical death blow. The idea is to go under that rib and to hit the heart. Well, uh, verse 2 in this chapter, Rakab and Bana were of the children of Benjamin. Benjamin, that's interesting to me because Benjamin is a tribe that Saul came from. That means that this was other Benjamites who murdered Ishbosheth. So basically, these guys are family. How much does that hurt? 
You know, it's one thing when you're hurt by people that you don't know. Say amen. amen. And it's another thing to be hurt by people that you do know. Or people that are family. Or people that, that you love. Or people that you walk in the ministry with or people that you know you went in the house of the lord together i think of psalm 55 verse 12 and 13 david said for is it not an enemy who reproaches me then i could bear it nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me then i could hide from him but it was you a man my equal my companion and my acquaintance or my friend now listen, when David wrote this, he was talking to talking about Ahithophel. Oh, you know the story. David trusted Ahithophel, and the people trusted Ahithophel. Ahithophel was known throughout the kingdom for his great wisdom. He was so wise that people actually thought that God directly spoke to him. David trusted Ahithophel. David loved you know what? Ahithophel was probably David's best man in his 300 weddings. or something, and, and, and he trusted him. There's nothing more painful, or is there anything more painful than a family member that turns on you? Or maybe somebody, again, that you poured your life into the ministry. You know, that's one of the, I think, one of the, one of the drawbacks of, of ministry. I do. Over these 20 years, is that people that you have loved and walked with. How many people know what I'm talking about, know where I'm going? You love them, you walk with them, you pray with them, you, 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 you fasted with them, you, you cried with them, you wept with them, you read the Bible with them, and, 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 and then they do something that just stabs you under the fifth rib. It hurts. It hurts. It really hurts. And I'll tell you, it really hurts when it happens over and over and over and over. Do you know a lot of pastors don't continue in the ministry because it happens so much they can't handle it? It hurts. It hurts that bad. They can't handle it. When you're doing ministry with people and you're loving people and they stab you or they hurt you in some way, David knew that feeling. That's why he wrote Psalm 55. Well, look at verse 7 in our text. Let's move forward. So Bana and Rechab secretly got in, and he, they killed Mephibosheth on his bed, and they took his head, they cut off his head, and they took off running, and they ran all night. Did you get that? They ran all night through the field holding his head. That is so gross. They're like running, like holding his head like, and he's, if he had long hair or something, he's swinging. Oh, it's so gross. This is like so gross. I mean, they're like running, holding his head. And can you imagine they're running through the field and they're, they're like, this is like movie stuff. You know, look at verse eight. They get to Hebron. They see, they see King David and they said, here. And they, they, they see King David and they probably they hold out the head. Here, David. Here's a, but like, whoa, 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 man, put that away. And then hold the head. Although, think about this. This is probably not really that shocking to David. That would be shocking to us, but it's not shocking to David. Why? Be Why? Goliath, very good. I've taught you well. I'm such a fantastic teacher. 
Yeah, Goliath. He, Goliath. He, he, David walked around with Goliath's head for a period of time. So he probably wasn't all that shocked. And he, he probably, here, take this. And David probably said, put it in the fridge. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what you're going to do with it. You got to do something with it. And note this. And, here's, and this is very interesting. Note they said, note this. Here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. Did y'all get this? Your enemy. Then they went on to say, David, God has gotten revenge on your enemy. Now, listen, if you've been with us, you know, David can't relate to this. Why? Because he doesn't see Saul as his enemy. He never did. Weren't y'all with me? Did did y'all hear me? He never did. Don't you remember he wrote the Song of the Bow in chapter 2? And the Song of the Bow was a poem written about his love for Jonathan and for Saul. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.